Ukraine is under attack in a way that we've not seen for months. Russian bombs rocked the nation this morning, hitting cities in the east of the country, but also the capital, Kyiv, and the western city of Lviv. Many of the areas hit were civilian targets, and the latest from news organizations on the ground, like the New York Times, is that the extent of the damage to Ukraine's military remains unknown. Now, throughout the war, now in its ninth month, We've been checking in with Ukrainian Americans from our region, learning how they're being affected and what they're hearing from friends, family and colleagues back home. So let's turn back to some of those voices, starting with John Huko. He is CEO of Rotary International and an expert on Ukrainian politics who's consulted with Ukraine's parliament. Hi, John. Welcome back. Sasha, great, uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Your reaction, John, to these latest attacks? Well, it's just, just, just horrific, absolutely horrific. I mean, these attacks are against civilian targets. Uh, it's really designed to hit critical civilian infrastructure. I was just on the phone about 20 minutes ago with my cousin. Uh, he lives in uh, Ternopil. Uh, the missiles started there at around 9 in the morning local time. Uh, the air raid sirens are on for five straight hours. It's probably the longest since the war started. They have no electricity. They have no water. They have no gas. Wow. Um, it's absolutely horrific what... Uh, what uh, what Putin um, is doing? Are you in touch with anyone else in the family aside from your cousin? Oh, I haven't had a chance to reach out to, to folks yet. Uh, he, uh, a few people don't have internet, and uh, they, the phone service still seems to be working. That's how I was able to talk to my cousin. But uh, you know, this is just just terrible. And I think from a, from the perspective of what Putin's trying to achieve, uh, uh, this is continuing to drive the Ukrainians further and further from uh, from Russia. And, and the more that he does this sort of thing, the more he's you know in, in a way forever losing. If, if his goal was to regain Ukraine, uh, these are sort of massive, massive steps backwards. Not even talking about the, the humanitarian tragedy and the, and the sort of war crimes nature of what he's doing right now. Yeah. Well, what do we know so far, John, about who's died in these attacks and, and who's been injured? Well, they're saying there's, uh, at least the various news reports I've been <clears throat> able to read, you're talking about 11, 12, 13 people have died so far, over more than 80 injured. But I think the numbers are going to be much, much higher. And I think, Sasha, the thing to remember here is that what's happened today isn't new. Uh, Russia has been doing this day after day during the, the course of the entire war. Yeah. I mean, well before the Crimean Bridge was 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 uh, was blown up, uh, there were daily daily rocket attacks on civilian uh, targets in Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, Odessa, Nikolaev, uh, on and on. So this is nothing new. This is just a continuation of this terror campaign that he's been waging against the civilian population really since the beginning beginning of the war. Well, you know, Putin says that these missile strikes, that they're a reaction to a strike of a Russian bridge to Crimea. Um, what do you think he's really doing here? Like, why such a severe retaliation over a bridge? Well, two things. One, he's getting enormous pressure internally uh, because of the battlefield losses he's been suffering, uh, both in Kharkiv with the, with the offensive in September and now in the south in, in, in Kherson. So if you sort of watch Russian television and, and watch Russian news outlets, I mean, enormous pressure from the hard right wingers to for a for a you know definitive strong response and they're very they're very open about it they're saying we need to go and we need to attack openly civilian targets and civilian infrastructure so i think in some ways he's responding to uh the the failure on the battlefield and and responding to to right-wing pressure Mm -hmm. and secondly there's this scorched earth policy that russia has employed historically you saw it in aleppo in syria you saw it in in chechnya during the chechen war uh this sort of scorched earth policy to go in and literally destroy town after town uh with the hope of cowing 
the civilian population, whereas in Ukraine it's completely, completely backfiring, and if anything, it's significantly strengthening Ukrainian resolve to uh, to win uh, to win this war. I think this is where also where this whole the sort of civil society and nonprofit organizations such as mine, mm-hmm. Rotary International, become extremely, extremely important because so much of the damage is to non-military targets. Uh, it's 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 really the, the humanitarian assistance uh, and and the work that nonprofits such as ours are doing are critically important. We've uh, supplied Ukraine with over thirty million dollars now with medical supplies, yeah. fire trucks, ambulances. We just uh, delivered twenty ambulances to Ukraine two two weeks ago for the Ministry of Health. So it's just um, really a further call to action, mm-hmm. both by Western governments to continue supporting Ukraine, to give them the air defenses and the anti-missile systems that they've been begging for for a long time, but also to continue the extraordinary outpour, uh, outpouring of humanitarian support yeah. uh, from uh, from the uh, from countries outside of Ukraine. Well, what do you think about this? Many countries have condemned these attacks, including the U.S., right? But right. even India and China, who so far they've not criticized Russia, they are now calling for de-escalation. Well, I mean, at some point, even even countries that stay neutral like China and India, I think at some point you just see the, the ongoing destruction that's happening and, and the fact that Putin is actually losing on the battlefield. It's not surprising that uh, that they're that they're changing their the changing their tune. But the key here, in my view, Sasha, is Ukraine has to win this war. And by winning this war, it means pushing Russia back at least to the pre-February 24th uh, borders. And so it's absolutely critical right now that the that the West continues to support uh, Ukraine continues to supply them with the much-needed weapons, particularly uh, as we've seen with these attacks today, the anti-missile and the, and the and anti-aircraft um, uh, air, aircraft weapons. They will win this war if we continue to support them and give them the military support that they need. John Huco is a Ukrainian-American, the CEO of Rotary International, and an expert on Ukrainian policy. Thank you for your insight, John. Great to be with you, Sasha. We'll turn now to Yulia Skubita, a Ukrainian-American who volunteered at the Ukrainian-Polish border back in February. Hi, Yulia. Welcome back. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me back. Sure. You were born in Kiev. How has it felt, Yulia, to hear about it being attacked yet again? It's just, you know, I almost had a feeling because I woke up in the middle of the night and I started to read the news and that's when I knew. Uh, my family is in Kiev right now. My brother, my uh, sister-in-law, my nieces, uh, my aunt, like basically, except my mom, everybody's there, mm-hmm. including all my friends. So um, it was very terrifying, but, you know, Kiev is strong, even though over, uh, I believe, five, as of right now, five people, you know, uh, officially had died and over 50 people uh, were hospitalized Um the amount of support that people like right now start doing donation to the army right away, like I believe like there's a huge amount of money had been raised just in the last like eight hours uh, from wow. people from Kiev and of course from all over Ukraine. And um, and everybody's saying the same. It is not as scary as it used to be at the first day of war. We are strong. We can do it. We can survive. And you're not going to uh, defeat us. So completely different attitude, even though it is absolutely a scary uh, moment right now. Well, you just listed several family members there who are still there. What are they telling you? Um, First of all, they were hiding um, for the amount where there was a a siren. So 
but now they are just uh, preparing because they know it's not going to end right now, and it will be probably um, more attacks in the next few days. But they are ready to stay strong. I mean, the, another issue right now, it's, you know, the energy system was uh, really damaged, especially in Kiev region. Yes. I mean, all over Ukraine, but in Kiev. So we do know right now from uh, uh, in the evening, the amount like what mayor of Kiev is asking right now is just to stop consumption. And people are very, very understanding. They know like, okay, so we might have to limit um our consumption of energy mm-hmm. for this amount of time. So everybody's preparing, buying some supplies, getting ready, uh, but uh, not leaving Kiev. It's yeah. not the same as it was in February. Do you have advice for listeners, Yulia, who may want to help refugees or help the people who are still in Ukraine? Absolutely. Like, again, like, uh, find the reputable organizations and please donate because the war is still there. I know we don't hear that much uh, anymore in the news, but people are suffering. And, uh, yeah, there are definitely some people that want to move or you can help the refugees. There are a lot of organizations here in the U.S. that you can donate to, or you can also help the organizations back in the Ukraine. Just mm-hmm. and use uh, the reputable organizations to do your research and well, well, leave us with this. You're you're from Kiev, as I mentioned. I wonder what you wish Americans knew about your city, right? There, there's so much more to it than just being a war zone, right? I mean, it's a beautiful European city. And everybody, like my husband is German, and when he came, he was absolutely amused. It's a beautiful city with a lot of culture, a lot of beautiful churches, a lot of, like, we have museums with uh amazing restaurants like it's europe i don't want people to think that ukraine is somewhere far far away no if you've been in prague or if you've been in warsaw or any uh, other european cities that's what you would find if you go to ukraine and you would be amused how um people are welcoming and uh just i wish all this will stop as soon as possible and then people can travel and see it by themselves see the beauty of course Yulia Skwabida is a Ukrainian-American who uh, volunteered at the Ukrainian-Polish border back in February. Thank you so much, Yulia. Thank you so much for having me. Before we end our conversation, we want to hear about how this latest news connects to Ukrainian history. So joining us now is Olya Soroka, the global chair of the Holodomor Remembrance Network. Hi, Olya. Welcome back to Reset. Thank you, Sasha, so much for having me back. How has it felt for you to hear about this latest round of attacks? Very sad, uh, but I can't say that it wasn't expected. Uh, We knew that the minute we blew up the Kerch uh, Bridge and made all those advances in Kharkiv and other parts of Ukraine to repel the Russians, that there would be an act of desperation, a retaliation. So very, very sad for the people that continue to die in Ukraine for this uh, unprovoked invasion, um, but not really too surprising. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's the same sentiment from your your friends and family who are still living there in in Western Ukraine? Were they sort of waiting for more? Yes, they knew that eventually uh, something could possibly happen. Um, They they did not put their lives on hold. Um, We Ukrainians are a resilient uh, nation, as the world has probably seen by now. 
and having lived through many of uh, previous invasions by foreign um, entities, they they knew that something could possibly happen, and they were prepared for it. Of course, praying to God that nothing would happen to ruin their lives or kill any loved ones. Your work preserves the um, the memory of the Holodomor. For people who don't know, can you tell us what was it? <clears throat> yes, the Holodomor was uh, comes, and the word Holodomor means death by starvation. Okay. Um, in in 1932-33. Uh, under the totalitarian Soviet regime, when uh, they tried to do collectivization in Ukraine and the farmers revolted because they wanted an independent, uh, they were landowners, they wanted an independent country. Uh, The way the Soviet regime went about trying to subjugate them was they did forced collection of all the grains. They, They took the farmers They um, either asked them to join the collective, which meant they had to give up everything that they produced in terms of grain. And as you know, Ukraine was once considered the breadbasket of Europe. Um, And they would take it away, and then they would decide how it got distributed. Uh, For those who refused, and my grandfather was one of them, they were beaten. Uh, They were arrested and sent to Siberia to work in hard labor. Mm. And their families were thrown out of their homes. Um, so what happened as a result of this, and there's a, a movie out called Mr. Jones that depicts the story of the whole of the mod, um, is that people starved to death because what the soldiers did, Stalin's soldiers, they came to all of the farms, they took all of the grains, and then they took it all up into Russia, and then from Russia they distributed it. Millions, millions of Ukrainians, including millions of children, died during the 1932-33 mm. genocide. So this is that was not the first time that uh, Russia or the Soviet Union has committed genocide in Ukraine. There have been several attempts to uh, wipe out the Ukrainian nation, and they're usually tied to resistance to Soviet or Russian rule. They're uh, tied to independence movements. And what you are seeing in Ukraine today, besides the medieval uh, warfare-type destruction of a country, a peaceful country, there is genocide being committed also. Mm. You've seen pictures of the burning wheat fields. You've seen the blockade uh, of our ports where, uh, you know, grain cannot be shipped out. Genocide is being committed yet again against the Ukrainian nation. Russia has published documents uh, for their plan for U- in their plan for Ukraine that specifically says that after Russia wins, the goal is to eliminate the Ukrainian nation. Like that so. is the pure definition of genocide. Yeah. Well, so it's recurrent. It's recurrent, and it's happening again. As it's tying in now with in this Russia with this current Ukraine. war. Yeah. Well, what do you wish yeah. more Americans knew then, Olya, about Ukraine? I'm I'm very happy that that many Ukra- uh, Americans now know where Ukraine is, what type of people we are, and the very very big difference between who Ukrainians are and who Russians are. Um, I, I I want more Americans to understand that Ukraine is a resilient nation. We will do this, and we will fight for ourselves uh, till the very end, if need be. Uh, but I wish they would understand that this is not this fight is not just about a piece of land in Europe that's far away. Mm-hmm. 
this is about democracy. It's about freedom. And it's about not allowing totalitarian terrorist governments to get their way because when they're done, if they, for God, God forbid, if Ukraine does not win, and, and I believe it will win, mm-hmm. but if not, then Russia will not stop with Ukraine. They will be emboldened and they will continue marching through Europe. And their number one enemy is the United States. Make no mistake about that. Their number one enemy is the United States. That's who they believe is their enemy. We'll leave it there. Olia Soroka is the global chair of the Holodomor Remembrance Network. Olia, thank you so much for sharing this history with us. Thank you so much, Sasha.